The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome back, boys and girls, to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander. Right across from me is the one, the only, the hairiest beast in all of the Pacific Northwest, Tammy, the animal molester, Underwood. Hi, everybody. Stop telling people I do that. (laughs) All I know is I saw you at the petting zoo, and I had to remind you it's not a heavy petting zoo. Shut up. I'm not in the mood today. And today we have a very special guest on the phone. His name is Benny Bedford. The story is... An amazing story. It, it's well, it's it's a tragic story, but still, it it, it really it, it captivated me. Good morning, Benny. How you doing there? Good morning. Ah, pretty good, pretty good. So let's just dive right into your story. Um, let's start with your childhood. The, basically, the same thing that you and I talked about, and I think that I think our listeners would really enjoy that. Well, which part would you like me to start from? Uh, I mean. Well, from when your I mom thought left. it was, oh, from when my mother left? Okay, well. That seems like well, we're all started. Well, let me just start off by telling you my, well, if I'm going to do that, then I need to, I need to go all the way back a little, bit, a little bit further. I need to go back probably to the very beginning when I was born, actually, because my mother and my father were never really together my entire life. And uh, I had a fractured home, I guess you might say, from the very beginning. But uh, I didn't even know who my mother was until I was 11 years old. And uh, I, I was raised by my father and my grandmother, and my grandmother raised me pretty well, but I never knew who my mother was. And uh, by the time I found out who she was, my dad was all ready to, to, to send me off to go live with her, or at least to meet her. And that's when I was 11 years old. And that's, that's, the, that's the first time I met Mr. Gandhi as well. Mr. Gandhi was ultimately the victim in my case, but... Uh, that's when I first. Uh, that's when I first met him, and I seen the abuse that he was doing to my mother, and I had never been a part of that in, in my entire life before. I never was used to anything like that before, but uh, I, I was witness to it. And uh, the very mo- the day I met him, he tried to kidnap me. In fact, he tried to kidnap me to go back with my mother, and my mother seen that, and she immediately stopped it, and she let me go. And then, uh, but. Uh, when I ended up, ended up going back with her. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Sorry about that. That's going to happen from time to time. Oh, yeah. yeah we're used to it. But uh, uh, when I was sent to do it when I was 11 years old, uh, I seen that my mother, my mother didn't really like the situation she was in, and she didn't have no money. She didn't have anything, but uh, she didn't have me either. And she wanted to raise me, but she wanted me to stay with her, but... I didn't like the situation she was in, but again, I was only 11 years old, and from that point on, I, I, uh, Mr. Gandhi, he was very abusive to her. He, he beat her every day, almost in, in front of me, and uh, then he threatened me. with my. He threatened my father. He threatened my grandmother. He threatened my mother and my brothers. Every chance he got, he told me if I ever said anything to anyone, that he was going to kill all of them right in front of me, and... Uh, my mother got me out of there as soon as she could, and I went back to my dad's for like five, three to f- five more years at least until I was 18 years old. But uh, the whole time I was back with my dad, all I can think about was my mother being with this guy and uh, the abuse that she was going through. And my dad didn't know anything about this. My grandmother didn't know anything about this. I was in, I was doing the whole high school thing. I was uh, I was your average everyday kid, and. Uh, by the time I turned eight years old, 18 years old, I ended up getting a fight with my dad because 
he just didn't seem to understand what was going on with me. And uh, basically, he wanted to run away and go back to my mother. And when I did, uh, I got back to my mother and found out she was still right in, in the same situation she had always been in, but it had been progressing. But this time, I had my brothers there with me. And uh, Mr. Gandhi ended up going to jail because we, we were we were systematically fighting with him almost every day. Uh, now, this all started in Texas, though, right? My, uh, this started in, in, in uh, San Antonio, Texas, yeah. Right, right. I forgot to mention uh, that, my bad. Uh, uh, no, it's okay. I forgot to mention it, too, because it, it, it progresses out of that state. So, anyway, go ahead. Absolutely. Uh, but my mother, and yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, because my mother ended up coming out to California to be with her mother, who was dying, which is my, my grandmother that I also had never met, right? And uh, this is while Mr. Gandhi was in jail, and... Uh, once she came out to California to be with her mother, she wanted me and my brother to come out with her. And you need to understand this, though. After I left my father and I came to my mother, I had a very structured life living with my father. And upon running away and then coming to live with my mother, all of a sudden I didn't have none of that at all. You know what I mean? And that led me uh, to a different way of thinking, I guess you might say. It led me to thinking uh, a more criminalistic way, I guess you might say. And... I didn't like I didn't like what I was seeing and I wanted to I wanted to change it, but Mr. Gandhi wasn't there no more, so I thought everything was was all good. But then when we come out to California, as soon as we show up, Mr. Gandhi gets out of jail in in Texas and he shows up in California as well, and immediately gets right back to what he'd been doing before. Except this time, we're in a different place and uh, a different state, I guess you might say, and a different way of thinking and. Now there were drugs involved because he was getting involved in a local drug scene, and he pretty much immersed himself in, in the neighborhood immediately and pretty much put down his little roots, and uh, he wanted to stay there. And me and my brothers and my mother, we wanted to come back to Texas. But uh, before all that could happen, that's when my case happened. Uh, I don't know if you want me to get directly involved with that or not, but uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, the case is pretty gruesome. <laughs> You want me to speak on it? I can yeah, definitely speak on it if you want. Definitely, because the circumstances to well, me are super fascinating as far as how you wound up in the California penal system, uh, you know, versus the other people that are involved that, that didn't. Oh, you, mean, you mean the trial stage? Okay, yeah. I'm sorry? You mean the trial stage? The, uh, the court the court Right. System? Right, right. And how we, uh, well, my mother and brother were, okay, well, I'll just go ahead and tell you about the case, first of all, and then we can, we can, we can get directly into that part if you want as well. Uh, Mr. Mr. Gandy, like I said, he was involved with the local gang members uh, around the neighborhood and, uh, got himself in, in, into some debt. And these were kids. These were kids that he, I mean, little, literally kids that he was, he was, uh, involved with. I'm 14, 15 year old gang members, right? And, and selling drugs, uh, buying drugs from them. But to them, he was just a big old idiot that didn't know up from down. And all they wanted to do was burn him. And they burned him for money and they ended up selling him fake drugs. And this is a big man. This is a very big man. And <laughs> ultimately he wanted to get back at these kids for doing that. And, uh, me and my mother, we saw a way that we could uh, possibly end this, end this little cycle of violence and, and, and abuse that uh, my mother and I and everybody else in our family was going through because of this man. And that's where I say the criminalistic way of thinking came in. And uh, it kicked in right there, I guess you might say. 
So ultimately, I, I, I spoke to my mother about how we could uh, eliminate this man from the, from the equation altogether. And uh, it wasn't the right thing to do, but it's what I was thinking at the time. And even to this day, I still don't know where my, where, where, at what point my mind clicked to make me want to do something like that. But it was just the, the, the thought of my mother having to go back to this over and over again every day. I just wanted to stop it. And uh, I wasn't really sure how to do it. But my mother, she didn't stop me from thinking it either. And, and, and that's, a, that's a part that, that ultimately comes up later. But we, me, I, I ultimately, ultimately introduced uh, my mother to this gang member that Mr. Gandhi was buying his drugs from and used him in a way to help eliminate Mr. Gandhi from the equation altogether. We figured that we can use this guy to help kill Mr. Gandhi, I guess you might say. I hate to use those words, but that's basically what it was. And uh, my mother didn't hesitate at all. She just thought about it, and she, she thought the same thing that I did that it was time for this guy to go and this was a way to do it. And I hate to say that because I think back now and that, that was a terrible thing to do. It was a terrible way to think, but it's, it's what I was thinking at the time and I got to be honest with myself. And uh, we used this young man to ultimately uh, drag Mr. Gandhi down into a, a, a fake situation where he was going to buy some more drugs and then uh, Mr. this kid's name was Michael Pryor, by the way. His name was Michael Gene Pryor. And uh, he was 15 years old at the time. I had just turned 18 myself. I, I literally just turned, it was out of my 18th birthday. And uh, myself and Mr. Pryor spoke to my mother about how we could do this. And we came up with an idea that we would draw Mr. Gandhi down there and uh, offer him some drugs that weren't real. And, and at that time, uh, Mr. Pryor shot Mr. Gandhi twice. And after he shot him, uh, I know, I'll never forget, Mr. Gandhi fell to his knees, and he looked at me, and he, he told me, he goes, help me, Bubba, uh, someone just shot me. He didn't even know what just happened to him. And I'll never forget that. That's something that's going to stick with me for the rest of my life. But uh, that was probably the most horrifying 35 seconds of my life right there. And even now, even now, talking about it, it's, it's crazy. But after all that was said and done, uh, Things never go like you think they're going to go. Things, things uh, with Mr. Pryor uh, escalated to the point to where he was worried about himself. He was out bragging about everything he did to his girlfriends. We all ended up getting arrested. I went back to Texas. My mother stayed here. Uh, Mr. Pryor stayed here. He was arrested, and as soon as he was arrested, his parents and a lawyer came up with the story about my mother, and then my mother was arrested. I was arrested five months later. And then uh, as soon as I got arrested, my mother and brother were in trial and were acquitted because they threw everything in their trial. They threw it onto me, which is what their lawyers were supposed to do, I guess you might say. I mean, uh, nothing was said about them. It was all said about me. I was the one that instigated the whole thing and put it all together and, and, and everything. All my mother did was agree to it and pay the money. So just and to be clear, though, that's you, not the way it really went. You didn't shoot him. It was Mr. Pryor that actually shot him. Yes, it was. It was Mr. Okay. Pryor. I didn't kill him at all. No, I was there. I was there, and I, I orchestrated. I guess you might say. I, 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 along with my brother, drove Mr. Gandhi and Mr. Pryor to the scene where we ultimately shot him. Yeah, but it was Pryor that shot him. He admitted to shooting him, and uh, he just said I told him to do it. 
and my mother and my brother during their trial, and Mr. Mr. Pryor testified at my mother's trial and my brother's trial. They were tried together. I wasn't even in the system yet because they hadn't arrested me yet. So he testified in their trial, and they were acquitted because I wasn't there. And then after I got arrested and brought in, it was my preliminary hearing. I was in L.A. County Jail with my brother at the time that he was acquitted because I had just been arrested. And they went to court one day and just didn't come back. And I remember my lawyer taking me in the next day and telling me I got good news and I got bad news. And he goes, uh, your mother and your brother were acquitted. And he goes, but you're not, you're not, uh, you're not going to get the death penalty uh, dropped today. So they were still going for the death penalty on me, an 18-year-old kid who had never been arrested before, after, right after my mother and brother were acquitted. And Mr. Pryor took a deal for his testimony against all four of us, where he got 11 years, YA, which he only did four. He never even came to the uh, uh, prison system like I did. He went to, to YA, which is Youth Authority. And, uh, and here I sit. I'm still here uh, 33 and a half years later. I'm still sitting here. And I have life without now, based on everything that happened in trial. But everybody tells me that I should have spoke up at, the, at, at my trial and let it be known what happened. But my lawyers instructed me that I didn't really need to put up a defense that I should just uh, keep my mouth shut because they didn't really have no evidence. And it turns out they did, and uh, and I got stuck with life without because of it. And I'm not blaming anyone for that. That's my own fault. I understand that. It's just I don't get why life without 33 years later, uh, I don't qualify for all the new laws that are passing, or, or, or and I'm not included in that because of the sentence that I have. And uh, people are getting let out. People who are condemned, and, and, and San Quentin are on the same yard with me right here, right now, because they shut down the death penalty, and they're, they're here on the same yard with me, and they're going home. People who were condemned are going home, but I'm still stuck here. You have 60 seconds remaining. All right, you want to call us There's right our, back, bud? This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. All right, you so want to call? call you back right now? Yeah, call, call straight back, man. We'll, we'll talk to you here in a second. All right, buddy, I'll be right back. All right, bye-bye. All right, welcome back, Benny. All right, how you doing? All right. I have questions. Uh, Can I ask questions? Absolutely. Okay, now the first question is, um, you were saying that, his name is Mr. Grandy, right? I heard that right, right? Gandy. Gandy, G-A-N-D-Y. Yeah. okay. I wanted to make sure I had the name right. Now, he was he just physically abusive to you? To your mom and you? Oh, oh man, he was. Yes, he was physically. I mean, from like from like I said, from the very moment I met this man, he tried to kidnap me because my mom right. wanted me to come back with her, and I didn't want to leave. And he physically, yeah, he was physically wow. abusive to her for years. And okay. then uh, when I ultimately went back to go live with him, he continued. I was I was only eleven years old when I went to go live with her. Right. And uh, yeah, he was abusive to me and. He was just an abusive man. He really was. He was a big man. He was over six foot four, two hundred seventy pounds. Wow! And he was a drunk, and he just he enjoyed it. He 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 thoroughly enjoyed what he was doing because he knew and he was manipulative as as well. I mean, to my mother at least. My mother was no idiot. My mother was a very smart woman, and she was born and raised in the Bronx in New York by herself. She raised her family on her own, and my mother was very very resourceful. 
but she was also very lonely, and that was the reason she was with this man because I never understood why she was. But I have I have actually seen this man uh, ball up her fist and hit her in the face many many times, and uh, throw her on the ground and kick her, uh, take her and throw her off of a mountain into the into the water. I mean, like it was nothing. He held my niece, my niece Shelby. My niece Shelby and my niece Elizabeth that uh, was was there at the time. And Elizabeth was a baby, and this is what ultimately got it for me. I, if you really must know, it's uh, he took my niece Elizabeth and he held her over a balcony, like he was going to drop her at the apartment complex where we were living. And uh, he just laughed. He was drunk when he did it, and he just laughed. And like that was that was no major thing for him to do. And uh, he he wanted me to know that he can do that at any time. And I believed him. I really did, just on, based on everything I've known from this man. Right. But I'm not going to say that justifies what happened. or it, it, it. But, I mean, I know now that all that did was make me the individual that I am now because I, it, 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 it's, they're triggers for me every time I think about that. They're, they're actual triggers for me. Well, you have and, to understand, you were 18 at the time, though, you know? So, I mean... And younger, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and younger. Yeah. So, you're, uh, you know, 18 and, and before, our mentality isn't what it is now as adults. Because, you know, I'm 50, and, like, I think you're 52, right? You're, like, 50 years old as well, right? I just turned 50 years old, yes, sir. Yeah, because I remember you and I talking about that. And, yeah, that. you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the way we think but now is they have laws. like we used to think when we were they 18. They have laws now that have actually changed. Excuse me. All right. They have oh. laws that now have actually changed uh, in that regard, saying that anyone who is 18 or below the age of 18, that their mind wasn't fully developed enough to actually comprehend what they were doing in that sense. And uh, and that's not an excuse. That's the reality. That it really is because, that's, like you were just saying, I, I've been doing this with this man ever since I was 11 years old, and I didn't know anything of this man other than that. And Right. I've gone through I've gone through courses in, in here in prison. I've gone through courses since then, like uh, uh, exploring trauma and trauma for for at, at such a young age is something that sticks with you your entire life. It really does, it and does. It, it shapes who you are. And I've, I, that's one of the, that's one of the things you know, uh, one of the many things that I've done. While I'm not just sitting here in prison doing nothing, I'm actually trying to make myself understand why I did what I did and. and, and Am I, am I a horrible person for, for that, or am I just a victim of that? I don't like to call myself a victim of anything. I really don't. But, but some things you have to you have to yeah just go with. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't really know how to I don't know how to say it, but well, I mean, you're absolutely right when you say that. Right, but I mean, you don't. We don't always. I mean, because you know, because I'm I'm a survivor of abuse as well, and we don't like to look at ourselves as victims, but that's what we were back then. You know, we had no control over this. This situation. call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. You know, we we didn't choose that kind of lifestyle. It was chosen for us. And yes, ma'am. You know, yes, ma'am. And so, I mean, I kind of see where you were coming from. Um, you know, because you wanted to protect your mom and yourself and your siblings. And were you the oldest? I was the youngest. Actually. Oh, you were the youngest. I was the youngest of my mother. I have five sisters and uh, and two older brothers, and oh, I was okay. the youngest of all. I was my mother's baby, and that's why my mother wanted me with her so much because I was her baby. And wow. but this is the part. This is a, this is the part that is the hardest for me 
to to come to grips with is all my all the rest of my family now are telling me that as much as I love my mother, as much as my mother, I, as much as I know my mother loved me, the actions that she, the fact that she allowed me to to carry this out wasn't out of love. It was out of, I don't know if it was out of fear. I don't know if it was out of, I don't know what it was, but it it wasn't acts of love. And I don't ever want to think that my mother didn't love me. I want to, cause I, everything I did, I did for my mother. And, uh, but it's hard for me to come to that, come to understand, but my my own sisters are telling me this, that my mother didn't love me enough to not let me do this. She, she just allowed me to go. I'm a, I was her youngest son, and for her to allow me to carry this out, I, I still to this day cannot understand why she did that. And my mother's gone now. She's no longer here. And right. I will say this, because uh, she was acquitted. Her and my brother were acquitted uh, at, my, at their own trials. They were released, so they never served a day in jail for this. The only ones that were in jail were myself and Mr. Pryor. And, uh, but my mother, from day one, when I came and, and when I was out there, I was I was your all-American kid. I was I was uh, heavily invested in high school football. I could have had a scholarship. I, I mean, your typical could have been. You know what I mean? But uh, mm-hmm. when I came to prison, when you come to prison, all that changed. All that went away. You learn instantly mm-hmm. who your friends are and who your family is, really is. Because mm-hmm. all my family, even my father. My father, they all turned against me. I never heard nothing from them. I never got anything from them while I was in prison. The only one that was there for me was my mother. And, and everybody said bad things about her. Everybody uh, pretty much hated her from that moment on. And, but uh, she was my rock the whole time I was in prison. Until the day she died, she really was. But now my brother, my brother who was involved with that as well, he's gone too. He passed away. So both my mother and my brother are gone. And... I'm I'm stuck in prison now with nothing or no one other than my family that I'm just now getting to meet. And I'm, I'm finding out that my being in here has affected their lives in major ways as well. And that's where, that's where Shelby comes in. That's where my niece Shelby comes in. My niece Shelby, uh, uh, Shelby has HIV. Shelby was raped. Shelby was beaten. Shelby was cast out to the side. And she has three kids that were taken from her because of all this, because of her mother. And Shelby is my brother's daughter, the one who passed away, Jesse, the one that was involved. This is his daughter. And all this stuff happened to her because of family neglect. It's like I have family neglect on myself. But if I was out there and not in here, and if I wouldn't have been so stupid to do the things that I did, or as naive as I was, then I don't think that Shelby or none of my nieces or nephews would have been in the situations that they were in because I know that I would have been there for them, but I haven't been able to do that. And now I feel responsible for things that have happened to them. And I know that's not true. It, it, it isn't the reality yeah. of it, but I feel that way. Yeah. And to see my niece struggle the way they are and know that they don't have to, that's, that makes life in here that much harder for me. It really does. It makes me want to get out and take care of things the way that I'm supposed to. And that's all I'm trying to do. But uh, I have bettered myself, though. I really have. Right. Now, is there anything that uh, you can do as to try to get out? Or it's set in stone and your sentence is your sentence? There's like no... Well, well right now... Yeah. Right now, I have appealed. I've, I've appealed. All, I've exhausted all my appeals. They were all shot down because, I mean... 
I don't even, my lawyers weren't the best. I can just say that. My lawyers weren't really on my side because they see life without and they just, they think there's no hope just like everybody else does. But now I've, I've actually filed for a clemency under the new governor here in California. Uh, okay. We have a great governor actually. And he is more lenient as far as uh, the prison system. He wants to uh, reduce the prison system instead of uh, in- increase it like most other ones. So right. he's actually letting people out. But at this point, 33 years in, I'm like I said, I'm 50 years old now. And uh, at this point, I feel like they're just warehousing me because of my sentence. The fact right. that I have life without excludes me from all these new laws that are passing. The, the Senate Bill 261, Senate Bill 260, which, 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 make, which actually make me a youth offender because of my age. Right. Uh, I'm excluded from that because of my sentence. So I need to get my sentence uh, commuted. To 25 to life. If I get 25 to life, then I qualify for all that, and I can go directly to board with 33 years in, and then I can have the board tell me exactly what they want me to do to go home. Right. And that's what I'm. That's what I'm fighting to do. But it's okay. very hard when uh, you're stuck with the sentence you have, and you feel like you're just being warehoused. Like like I said. Right. Right. It's just very shocking to me because but that doesn't you, mean I just because you didn't actually kill anybody. But yet you got life without. That Correct. Just, that's why the story's really fascinated me is that you get this harsh sentence being only 18 and you didn't even kill anybody. That's it's kind of ludicrous, you know, but we're talking 33 years well, ago. Right. You know, when when you laws were think he was different. in the South being <laughs> that harsh hey, sentence. Hey, you leave no, the South but alone. No, you and I have talked about this. <laughs> no, it's true. The that's South true. has harsher <laughs> penalties when it comes to this stuff. And, oh, no, very, very much so. The, yeah. well, the South has some fucked up laws and penalties, dude. Yeah. They're just totally jacked. But, well, oh, go ahead. I pretty much think I'm in a liberal state, though. I'm in a liberal state, though, when you think about it. Yeah. I'm in about a, California's about as liberal as it can be, but yeah. uh, the, the, actual, the actual, the one who actually did this, this shooting, Mr. Michael Pryor, he was 15 years old. And I guess the part that they're stressing on more than anything is that I was 18, which technically made me an adult. I can't buy beer, but I'm an adult. And Mr. Pryor was only 15 years old. And he was AWOL from, Mr. Pryor was a a gang member, a a, a criminal already. He was already in YA multiple times. And he was AWOL from Juvenile Hall when he committed this murder. He had ran away from Juvenile Hall and then, uh, was back to his little lifestyle and selling drugs already, and then he needed money, which my mother gave him for committing this murder. So he, and then when he got arrested, he he turned states everything against myself, my mother, and my brother, and basically they gave me life without for uh, use of a minor to commit a felony is what they charged me with. So, so my they... sentence was for one eighty seven. Okay. Man. Oh no! So they were saying you're the mastermind behind this whole thing, then. Is what they're saying, right? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. They got me for like Charles Manson type stuff. The Holy same thing shit. Charles Manson did. And yeah. Yeah, it really didn't. But they wanted me to say that my mother was, but I never did that because I never really got up and put up a defense, basically. I did as my lawyer told me. And I remember the judge. And here's another thing. The judge, in my in my case, when, I, when my mother and my brother were acquitted, the judge's name was Miss Judith Ashman. She's an appellate court judge now, but uh, I was assigned to a different court when I when I 
uh, went to my arraignment. And this judge, Ms. Ashman, called that court and said, no. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Uh, she called this. She called the the court that I was in and said, "No, this young man belongs in my courtroom. This is my case." So I was sent to her courtroom instead, and I immediately told the my lawyer, "I said I don't want to be in her judge. She just she just tried my mother. I don't want to be in her case." She goes, "Oh no, this is a defense-minded judge. She's on your side," and she was anything but. I mean, from that moment on, she pretty much made sure that all the mistakes they made in their first trial they didn't make in my trial, and she didn't she didn't cut me a break at all. She made an example out of me is what she did. You have 60 seconds remaining. All right. Yep, we have any, here we go again. You want to call back? I could absolutely call back. Yes, okay. sir. All right, awesome. Right Talk to you in a minute, Mike. All righty. All right. Welcome back, Benny. All right. Thank you. So uh, I forgot my question, but... Um, Think hard. I'm. I'm. Tr- leave me alone. It's still too early. <laughs> <laughs> we 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 were up late last night with the business meeting. So uh, yeah. Um. Oh, I totally understand. I, I was up all night as well. <laughs> so so basically, so you've been in there since you were 18 years old. I mean, like almost as soon as you turned 18. So you've been in there more than you you know been out of jail. Um. Yes, ma'am. And so, but. You were saying that, that you've been crazy. taking these programs and everything that that show that like help you recognize the trauma and everything that you went through. Now, is there anything like uh, what did it take for you to realize that you know you are a survivor of abuse that you were just as much a victim of abuse as your mom was, even though you know what I mean. Oh, I totally, yes, ma'am, I do. I totally do. And that was, that was probably the single most hardest thing for me to come to grips with and to understand. And it was, it was in my, uh, exploring trauma course that I actually came up with that. And, uh, believe it or not, it was my family that helped me understand that as well. Because, you know what? I, I believe it was my sister, my sister Deborah. Uh, she told me one day that she goes, you know what, Benny? She goes, you, were, you never even had a chance. She goes, from the time you were little, you never had a chance. She goes, your mother, you, you loved your mother so much because she wasn't a part of your life, and you, you, you needed that in your life, and you went and you, went and you made it happen. And when you did, you didn't, it wasn't what you thought it was. And uh, your mother never really showed you the love. Her doing what she did was not love, Annie. It really wasn't. She goes, I know you don't want to hear that, She goes, but it's the truth. And she goes, you defended her until the day she died, and, and he goes, but she's not here no more. And she goes, it's time that you need to understand that uh, you didn't, you never really had a chance. And uh, I never, I never wanted to say that about my mother because I, I did. I've, I've, I've spent my life defending my mother, even while I was in jail, even while I was in prison. I, I was defending her. Wow. But uh, can you believe that me and my mother never once spoke about what happened the whole time uh, I was in prison, the whole time... Uh, after Fish. after the case, we never once spoke about what happened because I don't know if she didn't want to or I didn't want to or or the two of us collectively didn't. I don't I don't know, but we never once spoke of the situation or what went down or why it went down. You just avoided that whole and, topic. Uh, yes, ma'am, we did. Wow. And you got to you need to understand though that my entire family pretty much shunned my mother because they made her or they wanted me to believe that she pretty much just threw everything on, on me and to save herself. 
which that isn't right. the case. None of, none of my family came to my trial. They weren't even, you know how you got people in the audience at your trials? I never had nobody because my mother and my brother were on trial with me and everybody else was in Texas and we were in California. So I had no family here. I had no support, no nothing. So none of these people who were making these condescending, uh, uh, I don't know the word for it, but uh, all these people that are saying this, they don't have a leg to stand on because they weren't there. They don't know what happened. They don't know why it happened. They don't know what we all went through. And so I don't really pay no attention to them. I had to come to this. Um, but when my sister told me that, she actually got me to see that my mother's actions weren't actions of love. They were actions of fear. Right. And, and right. I can't blame her for that. I, I, to this day, I don't blame her. I never will blame her. I mean, I did what I did uh, knowing what I did. But... Now, was I put in that position? I don't know. I can't really say. And, and well, I, I, yeah. I really don't, I don't want to say, actually. I don't want, I don't want to, my mother's gone and there's no sense in, in right. shaming her. And, but that's, I mean, it's hard. It's really, it really is hard. I don't right. know how to say it, but it no. is. It's, it's hard to think of. No, I, I know, I, I hear exactly what you're saying. <laughs> um... Now, um, now, were you involved in drugs as well, or no? Oh no, ma'am, no, ma'am. Okay. I was uh, I didn't even drink. I okay. was an I was an athlete. I was an athlete when right. I was out there. I was your all. I was your everyday American, all American kid. I really was. Wow. Uh, and that's why it was so shocking to the rest of my family because they could not believe, of all people, that it was me that did this. Right. But they all. That's why they believed I was manipulated into it. But. Uh, no, ma'am. I never had no prior arrest history. I was never arrested for anything. I was just, I was, I was still in high school. I literally was. I was still in high school. <laughs> right. Wow. I just, I, I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around this. I guess. Well, that's because you and I deal with people who have actually people. murdered people. Yeah. It well, and I do know that in a lot of states, that if you're present at the time the crime is com- committed. You two are considered just as guilty as the person that committed it, but Nobody I still gets a think a life sentence for well, it. Well, I know. I, mean, I was going to say, I think there should be mitigating factors involved too. Well, I, I you agree. Know, I agree. Um, and that's yeah. And that is what everybody who sees everyone who who sees my case or, or or hears about it, they all say those exact words. And there should and be I mitigating factors. Do, yeah. Uh, but. There are there are areas in, in the court system now to where I could I could get that. that there, I think it's called a, a Franklin hearing that I could go ask someone. And, 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 uh, this call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. They give you a psyche vow, and they and they they determine whether or not there are mitigating factors as to why you did what you did and uh, mm-hmm. what type of situation you were in, what what caused all that. But I haven't even been afforded that opportunity at all. And wow. every time I every time I go to apply for it, I get shot down for whatever reason uh, that has nothing to do with what I'm actually trying to do. I get for some clerical reason, I get shot down. And you, you right now, the only thing I have going right now, excuse you, me, you you just resubmitted a form to be heard a clemency again. form. Yeah, yes, that was it. Yeah, because I, I remember you sending that to me. And and you and I talking about that. Did you get a response on that? No, sir, I haven't. Not yet. But uh, they typically don't give you a response. What the, what they what they'll do is if they want to if they want to 
take interest in you, they'll come here to the prison and interview me. And that's what I'm hoping for right now, because if I get that, then I'll be able to show all that I've done and that I'm not the monster that, that they made me out to be. I'm really not. Right, and right, all right. I really want to do is get out and... and because you, yeah, you, you, you've got other hopes and goals, too. You and I were talking about that because you know that I do a trucking gig during the week. And, you know, it'd be a good job yes, for you. absolutely. You and I talked a lot about truck driving absolutely. and just different things, you know. Um, it's, it's just a sad fact that you're even in. I mean, you, you are in a better prison. That, given that, uh, people that don't yeah, know. Yeah, he's in Taha Choppy. Oh, my God. I love it when, the, when, <laughs> when we get the call that comes in. You have a pre-K call, call from Taha Choppy, California. It's like, um, it's Taha Choppy, fucker. You gotta, like, come on. Your computer system. I, 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 now, with the, cle- <laughs> with, the, with the clemency, though, it's either you hear from them or this you This call and right? your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I hate that. You either hear from them or you I don't. Do it's like don't. you'll either get it or you won't hear from them, which means you're not getting it. Is that right with the clemency? That's that's typically the way it goes. Yes, ma'am. Okay. And I guess it's all in the it's all in the presentation. I guess you might say. So what I've done is I sent I sent Scott a copy of everything that my my actual insight letter and all that I've wrote, and and along with that I've. I've submitted all my chronos, all my laudatory chronos, which are chronos from, like, staff members here in prison. Right. Uh, as much as I can to show them what I've done. I'm, I'm actually, uh, like I said, I was in high school when I got arrested. The very first thing I did when I came to prison was I immediately wanted to get my GED. Because right. I, was, I was literally still in high school. And I took my test. Within three days of showing up on a prison yard, I took a test and I got my GED immediately. And then yeah. from that point on... I had to make a decision. I had to make a decision at that point uh, because just like I was being tested for my GED, I was also brand new in prison, life without, 18 years old. I was immediately going to be tested by my peers in here as well. You know what right. I mean? So I, I'm not, and I didn't react very well to that, I must say. I, I kind of took myself into survivor mode, and I just went along with that for a number of years. But uh, ultimately, my family and my family situation is what, what made me snap out of that and realize that I needed to go a different direction and worry about getting myself out of here instead of worrying about everybody else in here. You know what I mean? And right. that's pretty much the part I'm at right now. And I, I, started, uh, I started college. I, I'm, I'm, I'm six credits away from uh, achieving my associate's degree in behavioral science. Oh, wow. And I'm also in a youth offender. They have a youth offender mentor program here to where – People okay. who are coming in now off the streets the same way I did when I was 18 years old right. are, are getting thrust into the prison system. They're bringing them here and having people like me who have been in that situation pull them up under our wing and, 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 and help guide them through their everyday rituals in here. You know what I mean? So they don't go down the same path that we did when we first showed up. So I'm interested in that. And uh, I'm heavily involved in that, actually. That's and good. I just, I, I just keep myself going forward instead of being stagnant. That's all I can really, uh, right. that's the best way I know how to describe it. Right, right. But and I am in the right place. You are right about that. This right. place here is, a, is the right yard for that. Right, because uh, for those of you that don't know out there, Tehachapi is actually an honors prison, from what I understand. Right. And yes, you it don't, is. Yeah, you don't yes. just get to go there willy-nilly. You have to do things to you earn. You have to work for it. Yeah, to, to earn the right to go to Tehachapi. That's why Scott DeCry is in there, and that's why Benny is in there. 
Um, now, is he? Are you part of that same program that Scott's part of? That that. Yes, ma'am. I am. Okay. Scott is. Uh, Scott is. I'm looking at Scott. I'm looking at Scott right now as we speak. He's out <laughs> in the day room walking Hi, around. Scott. I can see him as we speak. So yes. Him and I were. Uh, Hi, were, Scott. How you doing? I'll make sure I let him know. Yeah, we 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 messaged each other yeah, this morning uh, a little bit. Yeah. So okay. But so, this place here, the it. Go ahead. Oh no, no. Go ahead. I think you're going to answer my question, so go ahead. I was going to, <laughs> I was going to say this place here. This place here is actually it's it's called a, a it's a designated place where you are you are selected to be here based on your your actions. And if 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 you're a fuck up, they're not. Excuse my name. I'm sorry. If you're okay, a mess up, they're not going to have you here. If we cuss all the time. It's yeah. not a big deal. <laughs> Scott's I'm, favorite I'm, word I'm is nervous. the F You got to give me give me a break. I'm nervous. Oh no, it's okay. My my favorite word is "fuck." That is like my most favorite. I I use it in almost every. I sentence. think that's most people's favorite word. Hell yeah, yeah. I think that's versatile. most people's favorite word if you get yeah. down to it. It's a it's a nice little cuss <laughs> word. It's a declaration. It's everything. Yeah, it, it's very descriptive. You know, like yeah. what are you going to do today? Well, I'm going to get some fucking coffee. That's it's what I'm going to do. <laughs> it pretty much says it all. It pretty much says it all. You're it right. It does. Sums it all right. up in one nice little four letter word. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, the it only, <laughs> it's one of the only words that you can use by itself, and it's so expressive. Like, if you if you get scared and you turn around and go, oh, fuck, or you look at something and it's really impressive, you go, whoa, fuck, man. <laughs> Absolutely. It's <laughs> an amazing word. Yeah. So, But, you know, hey, uh-huh. hey Scott, you know what? You know what? There, there's one more thing I wanted to mention to you. There is a, there is a group here. And, and the other, Scott DeKai is in it with me, and it's called uh, Lives Worthy of Purpose. I don't know if he mentioned that to you or not. He has. Oh, it's yes. It's a group. It's a group that we all, that, that all the people on this yard who have life without, are, are, it's, a self, it's a self-made group that we all go to voluntarily just so we can help each other with the situations like I'm in right now where I'm submitting my, my commutation. I want to put my best foot forward in doing so because I don't want to just get rejected and forgot about because you only get one opportunity every three years to do this. You know what I mean? And we have the right governor in office right now to do this with. So we we make sure we help each other. And Scott Scott has been very helpful to me. In fact, he's the one who introduced me to you. And uh, I'm so grateful for that, by the way. Me too, man. I I love Scott. Little things like that. Scott is a good man. He really is. And... You know what I've noticed is all Scott the guys we talked to there at Tehachapi are all so polite. Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> I'm I'm in contact with a with a well, few people there, and and y'all are just y'all are amazing, man. You hey, have my... sixty seconds remaining. <laughs> all right, oh, go damn ahead. It to hell. Go ahead and call us back. You're good to go. <laughs> all right. Well, I was raised I was raised in the South, just so you know. I'm from Texas, so that Southern hospitality stuck with there, me my whole there life. You so go, uh, there I you can go. understand that. That's why we get along, man. We're Southern. <laughs> all right, I'll call you right back. All right, Bye. buddy. Bye. <laughs> all right, welcome back, Benny. All right, thank you. So, so this uh, program that you were saying that that Scott decries part of too is that you guys all get together and help each other with these these forms that you fill out and making sure all your ducks are in a row, right? Is that what you were saying? Yeah, yes, ma'am. You work together, yes, ma'am. Then? But it's not just the forms, right? Yes, ma'am. We meet we meet every we meet every Saturday morning or every Sunday morning. We make sure there's like maybe thirty or forty of us on this yard all together. And it isn't just all paperwork. We, we, we help each other. We make sure each other stays out of trouble. We make sure that we're, we're walking well, the, the, the right cool. path because 
I mean, there are there are obstacles in here that we got to face every day. I mean, we are in prison. You know what I mean, and there's situations that arise on every at any given moment that we we just got to make sure that we're not a part of. You know what I mean, because yeah. we got we all have one goal and one goal, and if and if and if we're doing this, then we're not doing this. You know, I mean, you know what? I, I don't know if you understand that. That's best I know how to describe it. Oh, totally, man. But and the, the emotional all, support. The emotional support's got to be Absolutely. super. And, and, super. Well, because emotional support is important, not and, just in prison, but in outside life, too. I mean, there's been times like, you know, when, when Tammy's, had, yeah, Tammy's had issues and she's called me up and said, look, I don't need you to fix anything. I just need to vent. I've done the same where I've had a shit day and, you know, and I'll, I'll call her or I'll call my girlfriend yeah. and go, look, I just need to vent because today is yeah. just a total shit show of a day. Yeah. But, yeah, emotional support all and around you, and is you, important. And you know what, Scott? That's where that's what I do with Shelby. That's why I like. That's why I wanted to introduce you to Shelby because Shelby, that girl has led a life that'll rival any movie you've ever seen. I, I promise you. And she's only she's not even thirty years old yet, but she's she's been through hell. And Does like I said, I feel California? partially responsible for that. Does no, she, she live there in, in California? In Texas, in San Antonio. Oh, this call Texas. and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I love how they have to keep reminding. No, ma'am. She lives in. Yeah, she lives in San Antonio okay. with, with with her sister right now. But, okay, uh, but okay. she she has led a, she's been in situations that I wish she never had to be in. She she should never had she should never had to have been in those situations. But and like I said, I feel responsible for a lot of that. And I've never even met Shelby. I've never been able to hug her. I've never been able to to to, to kiss her. I've never been able to do nothing. I, all I do is right. talk to her on the phone. But that support that Scott's talking about. That's what I try to do for her. I yeah. try to let her know that uh, no matter what she's going through, it could be much worse. It really could. She could be in the same situation I am, having to fight and scratch for every little bit of family support that, that you, you can get because you don't have it. And here you, you're just forgotten about. And I don't mean they don't do it intentionally. It's just an out of sight, out of mind thing. And yeah. I'm getting, hopefully I'm getting ready to get out of here and, and, and to go back to that world where, uh, I will be a lot of help for, for her, but right now she's going through it, and uh, I try to let her know every day that uh, she is valuable, she does have worth, and that uh, she's special. No matter what she thinks she's going through, I try to make sure that, uh, to all my nieces that are like that, and Shelby lost her kid. She, like I said, she was raped. She was raped. She was thrown out of her house, and when she got thrown out of her house, she went to stay with a friend, and that friend ended up raping her, drugging her and raping her, and, and, and giving her HIV in the process. When she was 16 years old, okay, Jesus. so that's that's where Shelby's life has been. I know. And Scott, you talked to her. You had conversation with you. Know how she is now, and she's just she's an adorable person. And I just I just want to help her with any any way I can. I would lay my life on the ground for that girl right now. I really would. But right, and I've told her she can the life she, she led. Text me anytime. And I and and you know what I want you to I want you to keep doing that because she does she she talks about you all the time with her now she goes oh my god I got to call Scotty today I got to call Scotty today I'm like well yeah I'll call him <laughs> yeah I'm a, I'm always was, here for her man I was gonna say Scott's a good friend to have in that situation I don't know how many times I've called him up and said look I don't need you to fix this I just need you to listen <laughs> hey and that's what she, hey Shelby tells me that all the time she goes she, she goes I just need you to I need someone to listen to me I need someone who's not going to totally bail on me and then you know what right. I will never bail on her no matter what happens and uh, but I'm her uncle so but I'm her uncle she's never she never even got to meet so that's what I'm working on I'm working on getting her to come out here and visit me because that would change everything I know it would 
And, uh, but it's, she's just struggling. But, Scott, I hope that you give her the opportunity to tell you her story because she's dying to tell you. She wants to share that with you in a, in a major way. She really does. Oh, heck yeah. And man. I don't I'm know just... if you want to use it or not, but that's, she's dying to talk to you. I know that. Oh, but hell yeah. I just yeah. wanted to make sure I let you know about it because what you, that emotional support you just talked about, that's, that made me think of her. It really did. But if I, I try to be supportive have... of I try to be supportive of as many people as I can because I know what it's like to feel like you're all alone in this world. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean... And you know what? Being in... that That's what this place does for you. It, it does that to you. It really does. It does. Ones, what people don't understand, and I've tried to explain to people too, because, I mean, compared to some people we talked to, I only did a minute, you know? Um and that's what I equate it to is, you know, but the world shuts off around you. You know, you don't realize it. Yes, it does. And, you know, that life goes on without you on the outside, but you're just part of this. It's your world is condensed in there and you don't realize how small your world is when you're on the inside and everything. And. You know, and it's true. I've I've seen so many people that, you know, once they're behind bars, that society and everybody just forgets about them. And, you know, we need to try to... Talk to, to me, sister. Talk to me. You know, yeah. exactly, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. So and that is real. That is not... It is. That it's is totally real right there. Real, it's a real situation. And that's something that Scott and I are trying to, you know, bring to light is that these people are still people. You know, they're not animals. They don't deserve to be treated like animals. They don't, you know, they deserve to be treated like they're human, you know. And that's one thing and, that we are passionate about, you know. And you know what? I will, I will say that about, like, the, the yard that I'm on here, the, the, the staff here, the, the, the COs. Uh, there's a lot of them that, that, think the way you, that think the way you're talking about right now, that they're compassionate toward that they know that we that we messed up that we're in here but we're still people yeah. we still get up every day just like you do but there's also those assholes that want to push the limit oh, yeah. just because they can yeah and and those are the ones we just you just got to stay away from you got to avoid altogether because yeah. they're going to do that until they realize that that's not what they need to do but right there's nothing you could do about that but well and i was fortunate uh, for people outside to think that way though yeah yeah, yeah you probably I, I, we're, where were, was, you, where were you in at? I was here in Oregon, in the women's facility here in Oregon. I was in, or, I was, <laughs> the weird thing is I, I was back in the early 90s, so I was in the women's facility for a year and a half, and then they put me in a co-ed facility, and that was a shell shock. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, but I, I was lucky <laughs> enough that I had officers and everything that kind of took me under their wing, and, you know... Yeah, made it so that I didn't have that struggle. And I, I, I'm grateful to them for that because it made it so that I didn't go back out and reoffend. You know what I mean? They, they let me know, you know that what? I that's, was worth more than that. So. And that's what it takes right there. That's, and I'm, I'm glad you said that because that's what it takes. It takes someone in here or someone that matters to you to let you know that before you do something like that, because yeah. if not, you're going to leave out of here with the same mentality you came in with. And yeah, that's definitely not going to be me. I know that that is not going to be me. I just, I'm looking for the opportunity for someone, anyone just to hear me and, 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 and hopefully react the same way that you have. You know what I mean? Because if that's the case, then I will get to get out of here and go home and be 
more than just a voice on the phone because that's yeah. what I feel like I am. I feel like I'm just a voice on the phone that's easy to dismiss, and I, I, yeah. I, I feel like I need to be more than that. You and I hope I am. I really do. You I are hope more I am. Than that. I mean, because no matter what, well, somebody you. relates you to your answer. story. You know what I mean? Somebody somewhere relates I, to I'm your story, you. and I think it's important. So. I should have eaten something before I, I took those pills. Thank you for that. I do. <laughs> but um, <laughs> no, I just had surgery on Tuesday, and I'm over here shaky. <laughs> yeah, part of the meeting yesterday was we got to see the pictures of her hand all cut up. Yeah, they got to. He got to see my cut up wrist because. And I, I was telling him I was a little disappointed because I watched two YouTube videos on how to do it. I could have done the carpal tunnel surgery. I watched a video. I'm good to go. He, he she said wa- no. She shot it. She shot me down. I, I shot, shot him down. down. Shot him down. <laughs> I, I trusted my doctor well, speaking more. Of, speaking <laughs> of videos, you know that we can do a video chat here. Did, did Scott tell you that? No. Like on these tablets? I have you on my... Oh, yeah. I could totally go out and do a video chat with you guys right now if you wanted. To where we get, we get like a little 15-minute uh, uh, videos on cool. our tablets that way. We're going to we're gonna have to do that pretty soon. I mean, soon should it. you ever want to. I'm not saying we have to. No, I, I did that with a guy I in San Quentin your... before he got out. I'm all for it. I hell yeah. I mean, maybe not today because we got a ton of shit to do today, but uh, we can we can do that for next weekend. Um, keep talking. I got. We can most definitely. Yeah. So. Um, okay. Oh yeah, he's got to go get some more coffee. He's dying over here. He's dying. Um, no, because my whole thing is. Oh, I, I totally know the feeling. <laughs> no, because my whole thing is, is like when it comes to situations like yours and um, like Scott to cry situation is there's somebody out there that relates to you on some level. Like they're going through the abuse or they've been through the abuse or, you know, they're in a situation where sometimes you take drastic measures thinking that's your only way out. Um. And, you know, we've never condoned anybody's violence, ever. But, you know, in certain situations, we have said, you know what? I don't know if I'd have made a different choice in that situation. You know what I mean? Type thing. And it takes... I I, I totally do. Yeah, it takes more people like you to tell your story to let these other people know, hey, there is a different option. You know what I mean? And... Well, and just, you know what I would say to that? You know what I would say to that? I would say to, to the, anybody out there who is in that situation, yeah, talk about it. Don't just don't just hold it in and and and, and create your own right. resolutions or your own. Uh, talk to someone about it. Talk to who if you're being abused, then talk to your abuser if you have to. Just, just don't hold it in because the right. more you hold it in, then you're going to make you're more liable liable to make the wrong decisions like I did and. Uh, yeah. It's real easy to do, it, and, and you may th- you may think what you're doing is the most is, is the right thing to do, or it's it's the only thing to do. But I, I can promise you, it's not. It really isn't. And yeah. just talk to somebody about. It. I don't care who it is. Talk to someone about it, and and you'll come up with the right thing to do. I promise you that. Right, and, and there's no shame in admitting to... that you're you're going through the abuse too. You know, people need to realize that. Oh, too. absolutely not. You know. There's nothing wrong with yeah. There's nothing wrong with that, and that's a lot of that's a, that's a major part of it. People are ashamed to admit that they're being victimized that way, and, and you know yeah. what? Or they don't want to admit that they're being victimized. Exactly. But you are. You and like like myself, I, I would never have had like I told you, I never had this conversation with my mother at all, and I should have. I really should have because that would have had closure for me. Maybe not for right. her, but it would have for me. 
Right. And then I would have been able to come to this conclusion a long time ago, but I, I didn't. Now she's gone, and I'll never be able to do that. Right. Now, but can I ask a question? My nieces? Being an 18-year-old This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Was it a pride thing? Um, you know what I mean? Was what, what, it more what, of a was it more of a pride thing saying, "Oh, I don't want to admit that I'm being abused," or you know what I mean? Was it that, or was it just you didn't know how to express it? You mean at the time? Yeah. At the, at the, oh no, it's uh, I honestly did not did not know how to do that. You're right. Okay. You're exactly right. I didn't know. I didn't know that. Uh, put this way, I knew that what I was thinking. I, I knew the difference between right and wrong. I'm not going to sit here and say right, that I didn't. Right. I knew. I knew that what I was thinking was wrong, but at the same time, I thought it was the only decision that could be made because this problem wasn't going away. It was only getting worse. Right. And, uh, uh, I, and I wasn't 11 years old no more. I was getting bigger, and I was fighting with this guy every day. I mean, physically fighting. Right. I mean, and it was going to get to the point to where it was either going to happen to me or it was going to happen to him. But when he held my niece over the, the balcony like that, that, right. that, that was then, and it will forever be a trigger in my head. Because that, that told me right there that, you know what, he's going to keep, now he's going to, he did it to my mother. You have 60 seconds remaining. Okay. Now he's going to do it to my niece, and I can't let that happen. I cannot let that happen. And right, that's where right. I went. That's, that was what put me over right there. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but that's the reality of it. Really. Yeah, it's an understandable thing is what it is. But we yeah, wrap like up to call the back show. right now? Uh, no, we got to wrap up All the right, show because uh, we can only do a one-hour episode per, or you know, one-hour show per well, thing because we I get distributed. You, I thank you both very much. I really do. No, we thank you. Very nice you. meeting you. And, uh, nice meeting you, I'll too. I'll be on anything else you need. Is just... And uh, I hope to hear from you guys again in the future. And, Scott, you need anything, you could text me. You know that, okay? Oh, hell yeah, man. I'll be messaging you. Believe me, I, I love our talks. <laughs> All right, and uh, I'll let Shelby know she can keep calling you anytime she needs, okay? Groovy, groovy, man. All right, hey, I'll talk do to you, you later, have, bud. Huh? Do you? All right, let, you guys have a good day. All right, you, you too. too. Bye-bye. Okay, there we go. That one ends. This. Stop. Do the outro. Oh, yeah. Helps that we do an outro, huh? Yeah. I'm about to edit this. <laughs> yeah, I knew that. That's why I said it. <laughs> Remember, boys and girls, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs. Log on to Facebook and join the citizens of Brutal Nation and interact with us. This show is copyright 2023 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved. And if you're hearing this or anybody, I can't even say that because we're getting distributed now. I know. If you're hearing this on Metal Cross Radio, they're authorized to use it. Anybody else is lying. Thieving bastards. bastards. We'll talk to you guys later on. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.